The 11th of October, the Rangers start tomorrow. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, Carter Worth waiting in the wings. Let's take a look at what we're looking at for today's show. Because that's what we are, are want to do here. Hot inflation data. Yeah. Hot <laughs> child in the city. Remember that Nick Gilder song? Well, hot inflation in the United States. Carter Braxton Worth is going to chart rates, oil, and the dollar. And the implied move for stocks, that's a Dan Nathan thing reporting this week. So a lot to get to, Dan Howard. By the way, NHL season started last week, uh, last night. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. I mean, the first goal scored by the Tampa Bay Lightning, Nikita Kucherev, I believe I'm pronouncing his name yeah. correctly. Um, I will tell you, the Blackhawks emerged victorious. Chicago Blackhawks. In Pittsburgh. Storied franchise, as you would say. An original six. Yeah. Rangers in Buffalo tomorrow. How are you, Dan? I'm doing okay. This is, you know, hockey season's great for Guy Adami. It's great for your energy level, that sort of thing. I love I, it. I definitely saw a sagging off as we got into September because back in April, when the baseball season was starting, you said you don't talk Yankee baseball until September. There was nothing to talk about in September. And then there was nothing to talk about the New York Giants in September. So now you are breathing a a little new life into the whole thing. All all about hockey. By the way, hockey for me is, it's not just a seasonal thing up there. Like I'm locked in all year year round. I know. I know. All right, let's, let's do the markets here, guy, because there's some, funky stuff going. You talk about that hot inflation data. So we had the PPI came in hotter than expected. We have the CPI tomorrow. We see an extension. Let's talk about what's happening yields here because, you know, yesterday it was, you know, a bit of a disaster. If you are long of yields, Mm -hmm. Uh, the 10 year was down, what, 18 bips or something like that. If you were short of the TLT, right, thinking that yields would still go higher, that was a bit of a disaster. And it's followed through today, which is somewhat counterintuitive, I think. Because you had the hot data. Because you had the hot data. But as Carter's going to show you, you know, we're still in this trend in terms of yields going higher. We just touched sort of the upper end of that trend, and we're probably going to now touch the lower end of that channel. So we'll see, but I don't want to get ahead of yeah, it. Yeah, but listen, but that was a hot number. And see, you've been all it, over this though about the flight to perceived quality. Mm-hmm. Is that, listen, this is the playbook. When you have geopolitical events like this, or you, have, you know, what do you do? You go and you buy U.S. treasuries, right. you park it in a place, especially where the yields are right now. Doesn't seem like a bad spot. Brian Moynihan was happy in buying lots of treasuries in 2020 at 50 bips. Good just, on you, Just mate. think about how much better it is at 4.6%. No, exactly right. right. And you, we're looking at this chart. I mean, this tells a story. Now, if you really want to sort of look at this closely, you'll see a couple gaps that we made to the downside and stands to reason those gaps will probably be filled. The question, the real question, I guess, is, is this just a pullback in yields in a broader yield going higher move, or is this the start of something different? And again, we had this conversation around and around. Yes, I've talked to you about a flight to quality in the form of bond yields if something were to happen. Well, it happened over the weekend for all the wrong reasons, and we've talked about that. I need to get down, go down that, go down that route. But yeah. with that said, we're seeing it in spades. You know, we're seeing a back off in the dollar, and we're seeing to a certain extent some sort of another perceived flight to quality in the form of gold. So we'll see. But again, that number was hot today. CPI tomorrow stands to reason that will be equally hot and it creates a real problem. Well, it's crazy. If you think about when the yield decline started on Friday, it was, you know, hot employment data. All right. You know, enough of what our good friend Carter Braxton Worth calls the funny mentals guy. Mm. Let's bring him in here because he's going to help us figure out where some of these important risk assets are. There he is. How are you? Uh, thanks. 
Thanks for joining us. Where you said that song? That was a good song, whatever it was. What remember it was what was it? Hot I, Child and City. It was well, Wild and Looking hot, Pretty, right? Hot it was Child in the City is Nick Gilder. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of tough, different songs with hot in the title. That's true. Uh, anyway, yeah. Sorry. Uh, uh, Carter, well, yeah, let, it's, let, it, give it, us your perception on because you know, like let's let's put aside the hot data, let's put aside a hot number tomorrow. Let's assume that's like kind of in the cards here. Um, you've been charting the yield of the 10-year U.S. Treasury, and you see you know, a move back to the lower band. And so when you see this sort of weakness in the face of hotter inflation data, what is that telling you? Well, that's right. It's always there's the news, and then there's the reaction to the news. And if everything's so hot, <laughs> payrolls just uh, last week and the data today, well, how come yields are going down? Meaning the idea of price is that it discounts things, mm-hmm. and while not everything can be discounted 100%. At some point, you get to a point where a great deal, uh, if not all, of what lies ahead on an intermediate basis is discounted. And so the spike um, and then now this retreat, a great deal was priced in uh, by the spike. The spike occurred before payrolls came out. The spike occurred when we get almost uh, 4.9% before this hot child in the city PPI print. And so the idea is that I think, uh, well, let's draw the lines. There are no lines here. Let's put some lines in. Uh, the channel is clear. Let's put some arrows in. So uh, what, do we do? We come down to the lower band? One could say, so what? That's back to 4.4. Four. But here's the thing. You go back to 4.4, four, consensus, we're going to 5, 7, 12, 1970s. That's tomorrow's lunch. Right now, you buy or sell bonds. I think you buy bonds. You buy TLT. Um that's my that's my view. Yeah. And it makes sense. And we talked about this, you and I, and you brought up this channel um about a week or so ago when we were touching that uh upper echelon of the channel. And you said, look, the lines draw themselves. Um, and you were right, and you thought there'd be a pullback, and you were right about that. The real rub is, and again, this is not for technicians, this is just in terms of your views. What happens when we get there? Because it seems as though there's this inevitability that we're going to trade down to the lower end, the lower band of this channel. Do we stop and bounce yeah. or do we break through? And if we break through to the downside, Dan, what's happening on the backside? Like what is creating that move, that flight to quality, pushing yields lower? I don't think I know the answer, uh, you know, but I think it could be because something is breaking in the, in, in our world, yeah, in the no, financial and, world. And it's interesting, you know, um, We've been talking about this. I've been trying to make this point on Fast Money over the last week, week and a half or so, is when you think about, you know, what are you buying here? We talked a lot about where the S&P bounced from. Maybe they could throw up that S&P 500 chart, Carter, and we can kind of take a look at this. We, you know, we were all in agreement. Not a great press at 4,200 in the S&P 500. We had all of those support levels kind of lining up. Um, you know, your 150-day got through there. The 200-day was right below there. So a lot of folks look at that too. And so it bounced. You know, we could draw another line. We did this yesterday from the high from a couple months ago. You can see that there's some resistance not too far from here. But I guess my point is, is that even that though the yields have come from 4.8 down to 4.6 or something in the last couple trading days, and even if they were to go to that 4.4 down mm-hmm. on the lower end of that band, I mean, to your point, guy, you know, why is that happening? It's got to be something that still feels very stagflationary at this point. You know, Doug Cass uh, emailed both of us before the show and mentioned um, this very point is the fact that, you know, you had equities move up. Now they've moved lower at a time where yields are moving lower, Carter. So talk to us a little bit about the S&P 500 here, because I, I think that was that was the bounce. It got back towards that 
kind of gap lower mm-hmm. that we saw here. And maybe, you know, if we were to draw a resistance line, we're close enough. I'm just curious. We had what, three and a half, four percent move off of those lows last week? Well, the bounce here is not much different than the bounce um, midway from the peak. So we peaked on the 17th of July and we make that low in August and we bounced, right? About five, six percent. And then we made a new intermediate low and then we bounced again. The, the real issue, and this is always complicated, right? The S&P doesn't exist. And one could say, what? What are you talking about? It doesn't exist. Meaning I know in the modern era, you can trade indices in the last 25, 30 years. The first index futures were the New York Stock Exchange index futures. Uh, the SPY is a way to trade it. But what really moves is the parts, right? And the mm-hmm. parts move, individual portfolio managers running the major endowments and the major pension plans and the major family offices were the biggest capitalists from the Harvard Endowment, the Metropolitan Museum, et cetera, and so forth. And they're not buying and selling the index. They might hedge it. They're buying and selling Ford and DuPont and IBM and Cisco and Apple and so forth. And the movement in the individual equities ultimately determines the movement in an aggregate. For instance, healthcare is getting whacked today, right? Like, I mean, Baxter's down because of uh, this new Ozempic and, and stocks uh, associated. Is the index, the XLV moving? No, it's an ETF that measures the sector, but it's the individual stocks. My point is that this picture that we're looking at is one thing. But it, does the picture of General Motors look like this? No, it's at near near 52-week lows. Or Alcoa or Ford or Home Depot. Uh, the, the point is, or all staples or all utilities. This exists, but it doesn't exist. What really exists, and the way to figure this out, is to study the parts. And so I'll end with this uh, analogy. Uh, the weak form of analysis is look at the, the picture of the market, the S&P. If I go to the doctor... And I walk in, the guy just looks at me from 10 feet. I mean, friends, how do I look? I'm on camera right now. Looks okay. My hair is combed. You have no idea what my blood pressure is. You don't know if I have gout or diabetes or, or high blood pressure. The way we figure that out is blood tests get under the hood. And so you go back to the chart of the S&P, the constituents, the parts don't look anything like this. Very Rene yeah. Descartes of you today, Carter. I mean, it's fantastic. By the way, you know, you look at this and we may have filled that little gap. And it's interesting you say that because... In ETF world, you know, I would submit, and then we're getting a little off topic, but I'm curious, we're at a point now in, the, in our market cycle where ETFs drive individual stocks. I mean, there could there be nothing that. going on in certain stocks, but, you know, vir- by virtue of the fact that money flows into certain ETFs, the underlying components get dragged up or down on the back of it. So you talk about price discovery. Is there actually price discovery? I mean, that's for another time. I get it. But, you know, that sort of dovetails what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah. And Carter, yeah. just your, your point about this, um, you know, philosophical view about the picture of the S&P 500, which I definitely dig here. Um, but isn't it also a picture of the concentration of the biggest names? Let's throw up Correct. the NASDAQ for a second. Okay. So the NASDAQ exactly. 100, and we know those top seven or eight make up 40% of the weight. And look where that got to, you know, right at that, that downtrend here, it seems like a level. And I don't know if you think that has much authority. Let's see how it does in and around here. Um, but to me, this one, and I mm-hmm. made this point on fast money last night. I mean, listen, you know, you can disregard what's going on in the equal weight. You can disregard what's going on in the Russell 2000, all of those stocks that you mentioned that look far worse, that are components of the major indices, right? Like we know that if the market's going to correct, it's going to be because these top 10 weighted stocks in these two indices that we're talking about, the NDX and the S&P 500. That's right. And to be fair, guess what? They corrected a whole lot more. If you look at the percent decline in Apple or Microsoft from the, the July peak, 
it's a lot more than the market. Apple dropped 15%. The market dropped eight or nine. Yep. And so if and as these have further to go, of course, that implies things for, for the general averages. In terms of the concentration, uh, there are two points I think that are important to make. If you look at the past 45, 50 years, the market is always concentrated. The top 10 stocks on typically are 20% weight. It's been that way forever. GE was big. IBM was big. General Motors, most valuable company. U.S. Steel, um, uh, Exxon. The point is there's always concentration, and it averages about 20%, the top 10. But right now, it's 30%, and therein lies the rub. Nobody had Rene Descartes on their bingo card, and nobody has Dire Straits either. And I'm going to mention Dire Straits because off Brothers in Arms, there's a great song called Hand in Hand. Well, we looked at the bond market. Well, you know what goes hand in hand with the bond market, Carter Worth? The United States dollar. And you brought with you a couple charts to sort of talk about that. This one, by the way, is going to look similar, but a hair different. And let's talk about it. Right. So this is this um, really, and one could say, isn't it just the opposite of the S&P? The S&P makes a high the day the dollar makes a low. Dollars rallied here since July. S&P sold off. And so if we put the lines in, the dollar is starting to crack here. We're, we're starting to break trend. And one could say, well, if you're in the camp that rates are going lower and dollars going, well, you have to be in the camp that the stock market goes higher. But here's the thing. The relationships are inverse a lot of times, and a lot of times they're not. Um, there are great periods in 08, right, where the, the, dollar, uh, the dollar going down, but S&P going down as well. Or 2014, the entire calendar year, uh, the dollar was going up but the stock market was going up, meaning it's not always as, mm -hmm. well, dollar goes up, stocks go down. I mean, if it were that easy, right? The point is, I think this is, we're, we're coming in on the dollar. I'm a seller. Rates are coming in. And now the question is, ultimately, do stocks come in? That's And that's what we were discussing. And that's yep. I think that's what people are sort of trying to come to grips with. We had a conversation on Fast Money last night. And on a very one-dimensional level, lower yields should be bullish for stocks, yeah. which historically has been the case. I think. It's a different paradigm right now. I think you can throw that out. Now, that might prove to be wrong, my assertion, that dollar and stocks can go down. But it does feel like there are other factors at work right now. Yeah, and it'll be interesting here as we get into the, the bulk of S&P 500 earnings over the next couple of weeks, what a lot of U.S. multinationals have to say about the dollar and the run that it's had. And I think to your point, Carter, with the charts, it just just feels like it's topping out right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, companies are giving less and less forward guidance, especially getting too granular on things. So I always find it interesting to listen to kind of what the body language is and, and the visibility that they have. And, and now just with the events of the last week, in the Middle East and in, in, in you know this terrorist attack in Israel, I mean, I think it's really clear that the visibility is going to be really poor, right? So I just want to quickly update this. You know, um, on September 29th on Market Call, I detailed a bearish trade in the UUP. I think it was following your charts a little bit here. This is a tough ETF. Um, half of it is the euro. When I say tough, it's got dollar strikes, right? It was trading at like 29.70 or so. We put this trade on. So really, I could buy an in the money a 30, or I could buy an out of the money 29 put I, I chose to buy the 29 put for a dime you know the break even down at 2870 with you know um or 2890 excuse me with you know the etf trading at 2970 that's got a ways to go i have mm -hmm. december expiration so i have some time to play this out the technicals seem to be like kind of going in the direction here a little bit so i just wanted to update this one i think right now i think with the the etf down just a, a little bit here um it's lost uh, like a couple pennies so i'm sticking with this one i just wanted to kind of give this one 
one, a quick update. No, but it's it's interesting to look at. Timing is everything, but your timing was actually very good. You, you know, in terms of timing, maybe a couple days, a couple of ticks higher in the UUP, but now things are rolling. And what's going to wind up, and we talk about this, you bought those as Vol was probably sort of depressed. Yeah. Vol will start to move yeah. higher yeah. if this starts to work your way. So you're going to get sort of that added kicker yeah. of vol moving in your favor as well. And in terms of December, you have some time here. Yeah, and the other point I'll just make is that, you know, oftentimes I think many of you guys know me. I was on uh, Options Action. I love that, that show. Oh, LA for 10 years. I mean, listen, like one of the ways that I like <laughs> to kind of spray a bunch of different trades around is kind of find good risk-reward setups, you know, in a capital-efficient manner. And, you know, this one seems okay to me. Um, do I want to short the UUP? Sure, I could short the UUP right here. I don't think there's much risk to the upside that this thing's get. It's not like a stock that has the potential for you know, some asymmetric sort mm -hmm. of move one way or another. So, you know, that's how I think about these things. If I was going to buy or sell the stock versus what the probability of break even by my expiration is for the options trade that I'm doing there. So, um, okay, Carter, here's one. And we're really glad to have you here because on worth charting, you have uh, been charting the heck out of crude oil um, of late here. And this one, I think, is a little surprising to people, mm -hmm. Guy. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing. And then, Guy, I'd love to get your kind of fundamental take on what's going on in crude uh right so well we gapped up uh, you get gaps are associated with news right of course you get fda approval for a drug you gap up the chairman gets indicted for cooking the books you gap down right this is epic news right it's 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 a tragedy it's 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 terrorism it's all of the things it's death um and oil gapped up um, but the, on the day of the gap, the note to clients was the gap will be filled shortly by our work. And what we looked at, of course, is the most recent gap up. It was back in the um, autumn, September of 2019. If you'll recall, the Saudi Aramco major processing facilities were attacked by drones, basically taking off 5 million barrels a day, half of their capacity. The conversation was that it would uh, make oil surge even further. It was the biggest one-day move in Brent. Uh, WTI gapped up uh, 14 15%. Guess what? It got filled in five days. Mm -hmm. you know, they said they'll spend hundreds of billions of dollars to fix it. It'll take. But th there's something impetuous and knee-jerk about a news-related gap in a commodity like oil. And so this schematic shows the gap, yes, of uh, earlier this week, Monday, it's that dotted red line. The blue lines, the horizontal blue lines are gaps that were filled. And so if you take this back over longer periods of time, two years and and so forth, you can see if we have longer term charts and keep going, uh, keep going, uh, keep going. It took, in fact, watch this. It took the attack on Ukraine to fill a gap way up at 99. And it took COVID to fill a gap back at $12 a barrel. From 1999. But every single gap has now been filled, all of them. There have been 85 in total. And the one from Monday was filled today. Um, my own hunch is that oil still works lower, uh, supported 80. That's again, that's going to be interesting because it's doing this obviously in the backdrop of what we talked about that everybody sees under the backdrop of the dollar seemingly starting to roll over, rates starting to go a little bit lower. It's theoretically, should be supportive of the commodity and it's not. So there are factors at work clearly that I don't understand, but you know, Carter thinks it works lower. I think it holds. That's what makes markets for those playing at home, by the way, you see WTI and a lot of people are scared, like to ask questions that are WTI as Carter knows stands for West Texas intermediate, as opposed to 
Echo Fisk, Dan Nathan, or ANS, which is Alaskan North Slope, or LLS. I've never even heard of that one. Which is Louisiana Light and Sweet. I mean, there are all kinds of Carter. Crudes are out are there. you charting anyway. these? All these different crews? Yeah, yeah, they're all they're smaller markets, but they're out there. And of course, the big one being Brent is the other uh, other major yeah. uh, oil go. commodity. Right. Let's take a look at our charts, Carter. I know you sort of wince when we bring our charts up, but we have sort of, but they look nice on the facts. Well, they segment. do. Well, let's, let's look at the XLE. Okay, that's, that's this is exactly this, right. This is interesting because you know this one guy. Um, you know, we, we we talked about this a few weeks ago, playing you know using options, the potential to play for a breakout here, and then what happened? You know, I, I obviously, um, you know, the bottom fell out. Didn't Re- happen. Really, really well. I mean, just really quickly, and I think it kind of coincided with um, this Exxon, like the, the rumor that they're going to buy Pioneer that was announced this morning, a big deal here. You know, it stopped at the 150-day moving average is the XLE. Then it kind of went up with that gap in, in the underlying commodity here a little bit. Um, it seems like it's kind of in no man's land. Yeah. You know, thoughts? Well, I mean, I thought it would blow through though that prior high. That was incorrect. You know, I thought we'd get through that sort of 101 level, and it was looking like a champion there for a while. And to your point, fell off a cliff. I mean, the precipitous drops are exactly that. Came seemingly out of nowhere and quite violent to the downside. I think the good news is we held the moving average. The good news is the moving average is seemingly starting to slope higher. The other good news is when you see M&A in the space of this magnitude, it stands to reason there's something going on or there's some, I don't know, confidence in terms of the senior management that, you know what, we're in a good space right here in terms of our sector. All those things are good. What's bad is the price action. So I get it. Big move to the downside. I think we held where we needed to hold. I think we're going to start to work higher. But again, if crude starts to break down, if some other things start to break down, energy will not be spared. All right. Do you think, though, I, I mean, like if this thing were to get back towards one hundred dollars, it should go it through it next time. You think so? Yeah. I mean, well, Carter can speak to that. But, you know, when you work up on the downside, when you test support over a number of different times at a certain point, you're going to break support. Seemingly on the same hat, things happen as you test resistance a number of different times at a certain point, you're going to break through. So to answer your question, if, in fact, we get back to those levels, I think we'll break through to the upside. Carter, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, um, for me, a pair of twos, right? I mean, it's what that's the, what that designation is all about. It's not a great hand as a short or a long, and sometimes it's really best not to play, right? Why um, you have to put your ante in, you're going to lose that anyway. Why put more money mm. on the table? My hunch is to leave it alone, uh, to not bet the hand to fold and do something else. Yeah, and you know, my two cents would be maybe if you get back towards that 150, you know, that that's where you maybe take a shot and start averaging into a position a little bit. And um, when I was thinking about this Exxon, which is obviously the largest component in the XLE guys, so you know, gapping down today on the yeah. news after, um, you know, all stock one, deal, I think it was a 60 billion. But at 100 deal. bucks, if this thing were to go back towards those July lows, get back again, I, okay. you know, but those tops are sticking out like a sore thumb. I yeah. mean, that obviously looks a great deal like the XLE chart, to your point, one of the largest component in the XLE. We have broken through the moving average here. So maybe we do test that support level that we saw for quite a period of time earlier this year. We'll yeah. see. But no, again, 
you have to ask yourself, you know, what does Exxon see to give them the confidence to pull off a deal like this? I think it augurs particularly well, but we'll see how it yeah, plays out. Yeah, but you also made a good point that maybe it is a regulatory arbitrage situation too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to take a long time. And, and so maybe there's a different administration that might feel more favorable to these sorts of deals in 2024 or something like that. All right, let's do a little speed round. We don't have a lot of time here, but the earnings season gets kicked off here. And Kai, I want to get like our fundamental takes and the setups into some of these and Carter's technical takes because he's got some good charts to go. So tomorrow we have a bunch of earnings here. We have Delta. This is one. It was your final trade day. Yeah. We were talking about the airlines on Fast Money. Stock's really where it was, guy, um, when we talked about it a couple days ago. And it is interesting that, you know, as crude oil was ripping higher, these things, that the airlines got destroyed, mm-hmm. okay? Um, now that crude oil's come back in a little bit, they haven't really bounced so much. We were talking about the sentiment, very poor into earnings. We had that example with Pepsi where Pepsi Pepsi sold off 20 some percent into its earnings beat raised. The guidance sounded like the commentary sounded fine. Stock opened up a couple percent. It had about a 4% move off the lows, but it's down again today. So mm-hmm. thoughts on Delta into the print. All right. So we had talked about Delta for a while. And we, if you remember, we had talked about it, the potential for it to trade up to $49. 49 was a prior high. And we were talking about that when it was in the mid thirties. And that's exactly how it played out at 49. We said, you know what? It's probably exhausted itself. If you recall, there was a host of great news around the airline space at that time. But typically, and you can speak to this, Carter can as well. In airlines, when you get the great news, that's typically when you pull the ripcord. And when news seems to be at its trough, that's typically the time to sort of close your eyes and get in. Well, the news right now is not particularly good for a number of different reasons that we've all mentioned. We're at this uptrend line. We went up to 49 and failed. We've retraced approximately the entire move. I think you get long the stock into earnings for that bounce back up. I don't know. I'd want to say north of 40 bucks. And we'll see how it yeah. plays out. I guess what I said to you on the desk the other night was that given all the uncertainty, given uncertainty about roots, given the uncertainty about, um, you know, mm-hmm. the consumers, the given uncertainty about business travel. I just saw that UBS um, halted all travel in the Middle East. Like, I just don't know why you got to kind of do it here. I'd rather kind of wait and see no, what the, earnings and the guidance look like and then kind of just kind of weigh it there. And Carter, you once told us or a couple of times you've told us that you had a mentor a long time ago when you started doing technical analysis that if you can draw a straight line, kid, you're going to have a great career um, in this business. Well, you've had a great career. Talk us uh, through this straight line that you've drawn here in Delta, because yeah. to the point, you know, is it is it precarious or is this the spot that that, that the support should hold? Right. So the the line does to some extent draw itself. We've undercut it. We're sort of sitting there. It's not the most important trend line. You only touch three points. But uh, the way I would play it is. Is a sell-off from 50 to 35 fairly extreme? Yes. Uh, can it get worse? Uh, sure. Uh, interestingly, for instance, the 34 puts um, for November are trading at a dollar. Now you sell those, you take in a dollar. So what happens? It bounces on its earnings, you keep the whole dollar, right? Never goes there. Or it hits 34, it gets put to you. Your cost basis is 33. Uh, trading at 35.50 right now get to own it uh, $2.50 lower. That's how I do it. All right. Fair enough. I like that. That's what makes market. Okay. All right. Let, let's look at uh, Domino's Pizza. This mm. was, uh, I think it was kind of suggested this is no longer a pizza company. It's a tech company. Remember that company. people were saying yeah, that guy, remember. that was like a popular narrative, but you know, the stock at its lows last week was down nearly 20% from the gap 
earnings high that it made a new 52 week high um, in July. Guy, thoughts on just in general? It seems like the staples moved into the retailers, moved into the fast food stocks. Um, you know, this one reporting tomorrow, I think is kind of interesting because, you know, it's a valuation that tended to trade kind of rich. The implied move in either direction is about 5%. Thoughts on dominoes here. That's exactly right. You hit the nail on the head in terms, you know, when these stocks get rich and when margins start to contract or they're challenged by margins or input costs, that's what you see what happens in the stock. So, Carter will say, and I would agree with this, I think, I think you're sort of no man's land here. You know, I would much rather wait for that pullback to the lows we saw in late April, May, June type of thing, which I think came in around 295, 300, as opposed to try to play stock market here and, and flip a coin. Because I think at this level, uh, that's exactly what you're doing at this yeah, point. Carter, what, what does it mean to you um, that you have the gap fill and, and you just, you know, you wax poetically about gap fills and we were talking about the crude, but you know, that earnings gap from last quarter was pretty powerful. It was on really big volume, right? To a new 52 week high and to have this thing fill in the gap months later before we really have any news is kind of interesting to me. Sure. Well, the gap was outsized, to say the least, right? And I think it reflects um, positioning. At that point, uh, Domino's having dropped from 550 to as low as 280 was so depressed and positioning was what it was that any relief, right, um, uh, caused that kind of impetuous knee-jerk thing. But the fact that we could give ground so quickly, and in fact, on the day, Domino's faded intraday, as you'll recall, and closed poorly, mm-hmm. all of which is that suggest it was just that, impetuous, impulsive, and not enduring. Now that we are back down to the 150-day, we fill the gap, it's really just, uh, as Guy implied, this is a no trade either. It's a pair of twos. I mean, what about this says, buy this and it'll bounce. Oh, okay. Sell this short and it'll go and back to 300. It's just one of those times, and that's often the case, where it's really better not to play, at least to my eye. Yeah, here's one that um, we don't really have to spend a lot of time talking about. We haven't talked about it much on Market Call. This is Fastenal. And what's interesting, this company, you know, they make fasteners. Mm -hmm. This is like, you know, and they they sell them to a lot of industrial uh, construction companies. I'm really interested in this one to hear what they have to say. That's it. Guy, talk to me about that because, listen, we're not going to trade Fastenal. And that chart, to your point, you know, Carter, maybe it gets back to that downtrend. Maybe it goes through your 150 days. Yeah, who knows? But, Guy, give me me a sense of, like, what you'd be listening for for a company like this. Demand, you know, forward demand. What are they seeing? What does the landscape look like? You know, input costs for them. What does that look like? Yeah, all of those things. Does their end user, what are they seeing in terms of their end user's employment? You know, they, people getting laid off. I mean, does that affect mm-hmm. all those different things? Now, we're going to give out a free mug or what are those things? Water bottle. To the first person, stranger things in terms of fastenal. Now, why did I mention stranger things in terms of fastenal? First person that gets that answer all right. will get a Check mug. It out. But Check I'll tell you out. here, you know, you're in this sort of pennant formation. It's a great company that probably trades at 25 times next year's numbers, which is expensive given the fact that it's probably mid-single-digit EPS growth. So I don't know what to tell you, but your point is well taken. You want to hear the commentary, yeah. not so much trading the stock. Yeah, that's why we bring it up. All right, let's do a couple more quickly for Friday morning. Um, uh, you know, Carter, I think you caught, we had Steve Eisman, your old friend um, of the big short fame on Fast Money last night. We were talking about banks. Melissa Lee reminded him the last time he was on, he said the banks were uninvestable. And she also reminded him the time before that, he was on. He said the banks are uninvestable. He said, all right, note to self, 
banks are still uninvestable. Um, we have a bunch reporting uh, Friday morning, Citigroup, 4% in either direction, implied move. Wells Fargo, 4% in either direction, implied move. JP Morgan, uh, plus or minus 3%. Thoughts quickly on the banks and the setup. I think Guy and I have said this a few times over the last week or two. We've highlighted you know, the underperformance of, let's say, Citi and Bank America, the outperformance of JP. Wells just joined the party to the downside. We didn't really think they're a great press guy. You agree with me? On the short side, this is another one. I want to hear what they have to say. I want to see how the stocks react um, initially. I just don't think in this environment, Environment, they're going to get if they gap up because they're not as bad as expected. I don't think it's going to be a multi-week sort of thing. Before Carter opines, yeah. you might have seen the gap up in Bank of America. Yeah, oh, the, yeah over the last yeah. couple of days. So yeah. we'll see how that yeah. plays yeah. out. Yeah, but, but you guys, you and I are in the 100%. same camp. Not a great price. But so talk to us about what you're seeing in the charts. Yeah, I mean they're basically uninspiring, right? And and also a little bit precarious to be short, uh, just because they're weak. Okay, they can also have a relief rally as you saw in Domino's, yet only to give it back. You know, somebody sent me this just today. It's a little bit of fundamentals. Bank America is insolvent with a 6% Fed funds rate. Leverage explodes. If your core capital is impaired, any losses on tertiary assets, credit cards, commercial real estate, asset-backed securities are exponentially painful. I mean, well, Fed well, funds well, are five and a half. Now, I can't speak to any of that, but the pattern of Bank America is no good. Now, we can look at the ones that are, of course, more immediate. Um, you know, uh, but look, look at JP Morgan. What? Okay, so what is it? Why? You know, the, the the idea is to wait for really good pitches, right? Mm-hmm. The fat pitches are fat, and even they are often not right or hard to hit. Um, but this is not one of them. It's not a long. It's not a short. It's a pair of twos. Why commit capital? Yeah. Well, you know, interestingly, um, Carter, I don't know if you caught this. So I brought up the point about Bank America and that held to maturity, you know, uh, you know, mark to market losses they have in, in their treasuries. Mm-hmm. And he actually, you know, kind of made the point saying that the bank is not insolvable. It's it's, it's an earnings issue for them. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in the near term, which I thought was really interesting because we all know him from big short fame here. Guy, what was your takeaway on that? The, he's in I think it all in the context of could this potentially be a Silicon Valley bank? And what he was saying was Silicon Valley Bank had a very specific yeah. group of, of, of invest, not investors, of depositors. depositors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those people all at the same time pulled their deposits, which created that cascading effect. And he's hard pressed to believe there's an environment where the same thing could happen in Bank of America, a completely different deposit base. But that doesn't take away from the math. And I didn't read the note that you read, obviously, Carter. But listen, I can't speak to the solvency or insolvency of Bank of America at a certain uh, in in interest rate. What I will say is the market vis-a-vis what it's done over the last six months is trying to sniff something out. Yeah. No, I, I, again, I thought it was an interesting conversation because he came back kind of hard. I didn't mean when I asked him the question to Mm -hmm. insinuate that by any means, I was actually more interested. And we talked about it in a market call yesterday. It seems like the knives are out for Moynihan and that just like, maybe it opens the door to an activist investor or something like that. All right, Carter, let's look of all the charts that you provided to us today, this UNH chart, which reports the company before the opening on Friday. It's the only one that had an arrow with it. I think I drew the arrows i was wondering why well why you know a couple things i mean it's relative strength day to day uh is quite juicy think about what it's done since july versus the s&p the exact opposite we also know that it is transitioning uh which is to say the 150 moving average is starting to slope upwards and um, my hunch is we make it back to the former highs. So I'd uh, want to play on the long side here. Centene, another one acts this way. 
Um, and so you have relative strength to the market, relative strength to the sector. As a lot of look at Baxter today or ISRG or Stryker getting murdered. Uh, I'm a buyer. Got some questions about the XLI. I, I, I don't know if it's an exactly equal weight ETF, but what I'll tell you is Honeywell, UNP, um, a couple different names. I'm just trying to go yeah, through I'll tell it you now. really quickly here. Let's but anyway, Raytheon, yeah. UPS, So, you know, it's had a big move. If you even extend this out, you'll sort of see. The question here is, you know, what do we think is going to happen? I look at this and say, you know, we traded up to levels we last saw a few months ago, seemingly rolling over here. We're holding the moving average. The moving average is still sloping higher. I mean, all this seems somewhat favorable. So I don't want to sort of, you know, I, know, I don't want to say you short it here or get out of it here because there's no compelling reason. But what I will say is, you know, if things start to slow down on this lag effect from the Federal Reserve and interest rate hikes, at a certain point, it will impact all these names. Now, it's gotten a boost recently because this aerospace defense components in the name in the, in the ETF obviously have had a huge leg higher, but we'll see how this thing shakes out. Yeah, interestingly, it, there's no one stock that has like a 10%. Four and a half percent, yeah, I think it's the highest. Or whatever. And, and Carter, I mean, when you look at the chart on, on a, a multi-year basis like this, that 11% drawdown that we had to that 150-day looked like a good level. Looks like it's still basing a bit. Thoughts there? Yeah, so XLI made a slight new high, uh, which um, one could call a breakout, but it wasn't that, right? It's a, it's a false breakout, a failed breakout. Um, it also is important to note that when that move occurred in July 2009, it wasn't making relative highs to the S&P 500. Uh, also here, more in the pair of twos category than anything else. I would just leave it alone. Uh, there are individual names that look good. Um, a favorite of mine is Ingersoll, uh, for instance, but... Uh, I would say no real discernible opportunity, long or short. Comes out IR, guys. Sure, it does. Let me tell you something. There are a lot of pocket twos out there in the world, but Carterworth, you are pocket aces in our book. And you know what? When you see another ace on the river, you know you're playing with a very (laughs) strong hand. So I want to thank the great Carter Braxton Worth. I want to thank you, Dan Nathan. Thanks, guys. I want to thank FactSet, obviously. Financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. Did that very well. Yeah. I want to thank the audience as well. We will be back tomorrow with EY from SoFi. From SoFi. Yeah. And just so you know, I mean, like you made that comment about our charts. Our charts are great looking charts. charts. No, 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 no. Back to the facts that chart. I mean, we got like colors in there. They I mean, pale in comparison. Yeah. And Carter, what was the tagline you came one. up with with for what, worth charting that he no has emojis. yet to That he has yet that to was, That was guy. Yeah. Just charts. Yeah. There you go. Bitch. All right, yeah. Carter. Thanks so All much. All right. See Everyone you. in here. We'll see you later. 